we're in the middle of a series called Building a Family Life Center. And, and as we stressed multiple times that it is a, not about how to build a building. It is about our last, when we talk about building a community center, it was about something that God is doing. He is building us, a, his people, as the center of a community. And in the same way, he comes into our homes and he is trying to put himself in the center of our lives. Uh, is that still too loud? Not too loud? Can you hear me? <laughs> Just checking. That's all I need to know. Um, today, our message is about, it's called being in a stress-free home. And, uh, and you know, as soon as I, I, this title was one that we picked, uh, or I picked out uh, several months ago, and we were putting all the sermons together. And I could have predicted, not that I'm a prop or anything, but I could have predicted that this would be one of the more stressful weeks that I would have in trying to teach you how to be stress-free. And, uh, and that's exactly how things like that unfold. Because one of the things that we discover in trying to be a stress-free home is uh, days that we just kind of sit back with a cup of coffee on the couch and have no cares or worries in the world. Those are very few and far between. One, I don't drink coffee. Uh, and, uh, the, but the, the thing that we all seem to want, and, and when I looked up stress-free on the Internet, there's books galore of how to be stress-free, how to, how to have a stress-free office, how to have a stress-free home, how to decorate your house stress-free, how to organize to where your life is stress-free. And that is why, because we have so much information, that's why America is one of the most stress-free societies on the planet. Uh, you may not know that uh, because it's not true. Uh, we, we are filled with stress. We are filled with stress. And because we are uh, people who get so stressed out over everything, one of the, it actually is decreasing our, we're actually shortening our lifespans. We've made so many medical advances and so forth. We should be living to be 130 years old by now. But one of the reasons we don't is because we are killing ourselves by the amount of anxiety and stress that we have. Ironically, Jesus addresses uh, such a thing. He actually speaks to us and, and says that when he comes to be in the center of our home, that our li- one, of the, one of the things that demonstrates that Jesus is at the center of our home is the fact that our home is indeed stress-free. So if you have a stressful home, if you have a stressful life, it, it is like a little warning light that something's wrong with your engine, something's wrong with your car, something's wrong with your life. It's, it's telling you that this is not the way you were meant to run. This is not how you were designed to be. And so we're going to look at a very, should be well-known passage in Matthew chapter 6. It's part, right in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. As Jesus was speaking to people on a mountainside... And telling them things that were to be radically revolutionary. And, and this is what's crazy to me. Um, when I think of stress-free people, I think of people overseas or in, in South America or where, anywhere but here. Where they live by the beach or they live in some type of culture where everything's laid back and everything's just kind of take things as they go. And I have to remind myself... That when Jesus is speaking these words, he is speaking to a group of people on the Mediterranean, 
And, uh, and they are people who, well, actually, they're on the Sea of Galilee where he's talking, but, but it's a Mediterranean cu- climate, Mediterranean culture. These are, this is about as laid back a period of time as you could possibly get. Nobody's looking at their iPhones while he's talking. Nobody's got an iPad out. Nobody's checking their watches over and over and over again. Nobody has any type of uh, commitments or time frames or whatever that they're rushing to get to. Nobody's cars running out in the parking lot. Nothing like that's happening while Jesus is talking to these people. Yet, he addresses the fact that they are filled with anxiety, that their lives are anxious and stressful. So that means that it is not just... A matter. Everybody says we have too much information or we have too much this or too much that. And that's why we're all so stressed out. The reason why we're all so stressed out is because we're people. And because we're people who live in a fallen world, we've always been stressed out. From the moment when Adam and Eve stressed over whether they should eat that fruit or not, we have been stressed from that point forward. And, and so, so as Jesus speaks these words, he's saying this is part of the redemptive process. This isn't about decorating your home in a particular way. This isn't about eating the right kind of foods. Or this isn't about getting a, the right type of exercise regimen or getting your sock drawer just exactly right. This is about understanding something went wrong with your wiring. And you have to be rewired. You have to be transformed. You have to be renewed. In order to, and, and there's, and there's, and he spells out exactly how this is supposed to happen. And so, I, keep, <laughs> I just have to tell you this, not that I'm trying to be stressed by this, but I'm getting a phone call from Greece. I have no idea why, <laughs> but I'm getting called, they call me like five times in the last 10 minutes. It keeps popping up on my iPad and it's really stressing me out. Now, uh, <laughs> I have no idea. I knew no people in Greece. So it's like, I'm, it's just one of those things like. That's running through my head. But anyway, we'll trust that God will take care of it. Um, <laughs> I'm just thinking, what if they're wanting to know the plan of salvation right now? What if they're, somebody's thinking, I'm really struggling with following Jesus. <laughs> I'm afraid of some guy named Guido and I owe him money from 20 years ago or something. Um, that's also in the back of my mind. Um, <laughs> okay. Matthew chapter 6, <laughs> my Bible says the cure for anxiety, so that's what this is. Look in verse 31. He says, so don't worry, saying, what will we eat, or what will we drink, or what will we wear? For the idolaters eagerly seek all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be provided for you. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow, because tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Pray with me. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word. Lord, I thank you that you took the time, Lord, to come into time. Father, our eternal God who, come, who spoke himself into existence and, and became a man just like us and, and walked where we walked and, and talked where we talked and ate where we ate and, and lived how we lived. And Father, you lived a stress-free life. We know this. We know that you did not worry. We know that you were not anxious for anything. And so, Father, you are the expert. You are the authority in this. And so, Father, as we seek to be homes that honor you, as we seek to to have you at the center of our family life, Father, show us, Lord, how we can be also stress-free. But we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.
There's a movie that came out called Daddy's Home. I don't know if you, I'm not suggesting you see it, but uh, it did make me think. I was actually, that was my, my point, was Daddy's Home. And, um, and it's a movie about a stepdad uh, who's in this family and the real dad coming home. And, and, and I, I use this just kind of an illustration of all movies about dads today. Because all in our culture and our TV shows and so forth, dads are kind of that comical character within the home. Uh, every once in a while, you get an action movie where you have a dad who has to kill a bunch of people to save his family. Uh, that's also intriguing uh, in the movie world. But rarely do you see anymore just, just a, a man who is the head of his household and who just responsibly handles being a father. You know, of course, that's not really that entertaining. I can understand. It's probably the reason why, uh, you know, and even on TV, one of the best dads on TV gets killed in a fire uh, or because of a fire. I probably just ruined that whole show for you. But anyway, I don't know. Uh, does anybody watch This Is Us? Okay. Okay. I don't get emotional about it. Uh, but, but we... <laughs> but... When we take, think about daddies in the home, when we think about fathers in the home, there are a lot of positive things that people talk about and a lot of negative things. And it all depends on your experience with dad. And everybody has one and everybody has an experience or feeling or emotion that's connected to that. Well, what we want to focus on is the fact that just because you have a negative father experience does not mean you are incapable of having a positive relationship with our heavenly father. And, and just because you have a good father doesn't mean that that person takes the place of your heavenly father, that you don't need your heavenly father. What really is missing, I think, and I think is purposefully done in our culture because we have all types of, you know, we talk about gender issues and we talk about you know, gender confusion and all these different things. And, and this has been going on for years and years and years and years that it comes into a, a, even a, a, um, a stressful climate of how I identify myself. And what's happening is, is we've lost sight of how God identifies himself. There's this huge push in so many places to identify God as God the father and mother and, and God in, in, in neutral gender and to say he's a he slash she. Um, you may never be exposed to things like that, but that it's out there. And one of the things that is important for us to remember is, is that we did not identify God as father. He identified himself that way. When he revealed himself to us and when Jesus reveals him to us, he reveals him with that that noun, that pronoun of father and, uh, and noun of he, pronoun he, noun father. And, and so we're not trying to say this is who we think God is. All we are saying is this is who God reveals himself to be. Now, does that mean that God doesn't have connections, have a maternal understanding or have ideas of what motherhood is? He invented motherhood. He invented maternal instinct. He invented man, men and women. So it's not, he's not tied to a particular uh, gender as far as people are concerned. But the things he did reveal to us is he did come to us as our father. He did come as a man in the person of Jesus Christ. So those aren't things we, that make it good or bad. That's just, that's just the truth of who he is. And so 
One of the things he communicates to us, Jesus communicates to us over and over again, is not only is he our father, our heavenly father, but he is a loving heavenly father. Meaning that he goes out of his way to make sure. He, Jesus does elsewhere. He says, you know, does your father know how to give you good gifts? It is kind of a blanket statement saying, doesn't a good father know how to give good gifts? Now, even if you had a bad father that didn't give you good gifts, you know that a good father would give good gifts to his children. We all know that concept. And he's saying, if you can know that concept amongst people, let me tell you how much more so your heavenly father gives good gifts to his children. And he's just trying, and Jesus is trying to say to us, your heavenly father is the best dad there could ever be. He is so worth loving and so worthy of being called father. And so whatever image you have, he's like the perfect, you know, it was explained to me one time that, you know, in geometry, you can think of a circle and everybody, when I say the word circle, you think of a circle, but it's impossible to draw a perfect circle. I don't know if you took geometry, you'd understand that, but you can't draw a perfect circle. It's not possible to do, but it's possible to conceive. It's possible to know, to understand the concept of a circle. And, and God is, is a concept that we can't paint or draw or portray because he's, he's beyond our understanding in that regard. He's, he's bigger than our minds can conceive. But it's still possible to understand that he's perfect. We can understand perfection without ever being able to attain it or achieve it. So, so we're, let's talk about he's a good father. So let's just get that. That's on the home. So when we talk about daddy's home. We're not talking about some lame dad versus some really cool dad. We're talking about that this is what the ideal father is. And he should be in our home. He should be in our home. There's never, there's no home that should ever be, uh, that should ever be without the presence of our heavenly father. Look what Jesus says in being stress-free. He says in verse 31, he says, so don't worry, saying, what will we eat, or what will we drink, or what will we wear? Now, he's already spent some time, you know, in the previous verses, if you get bored with me and you want to go back and read those previous verses, I understand. Um, I do that to other preachers. But, the, uh, but, he's, but he's already spent some time saying, is it, the body's, the, it's, life is more than this. Life is more than what you eat, and what you wear, and what you drink. But this is where we spend a great deal of thought. Think of every trip you've ever been on with, with whoever. doesn't matter who you're with. And think of eating and how much time you spend thinking about where are we going to eat. And once you decide where you're going to eat, you finally resolve that. Finally resolve where you're going to eat. Then you get to that place. Then what are you going to eat? Now you're stressed over what am I going to eat? And I remember I had a friend who said, who got frustrated me one time. He says, hey, you're going to eat again. <laughs> Just pick something. And, uh, and, I, and I've always remembered that. It kind of moves the process along. I probably will eat again. You know, so I'm, uh, let me just pick something here and we'll just go with it. Uh, and, 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 but that's, we stress over those things. We stress over shopping and finding clothes and so forth in our wardrobes and so forth. I have so many clothes. And I, I blame my mother. She did this to me. My mom was a shopper. My dad was a workaholic. <laughs> so he was gone all the time. And so I had to go shopping with my mom all the time. And so I spent a lot of time in department stores looking through clothes. And she made me 
an expert clothes shopper. Kim does not buy my clothes for me. She does not accept my clothes. She doesn't, she doesn't wash my clothes. Okay, real honesty, she doesn't touch my clothes, okay? I don't let her near my clothes because, that, because my mom did that to me. And we have to go to therapy over it. But, the, uh, we, but we have, that's our, that's our thing because I'm just, it's wired in me that I, I know what nice clothes are. So if you ever see me dressed poorly, it's just me trying to be humble before Jesus, uh, because I know what I should be wearing. I'm just not doing it because I don't want to be that kind of person. But I, I get consumed with clothes sometimes, you know, and I, and I, a pair of shoes. I, I've spent so much money on shoes that I just, I feel, I repent over it, but I've already got them at that point. So, you know, what do you do? Uh, and just wear them, (laughs) but, uh, and and I'm, I'm afraid I've inflicted is he out there? No, he's not. Jonathan is cursed by this too. I just want you to so heads up on that. Uh, but we have this. So we have this issues with money. We have the issues with we have issues with food. We have issues with clothes. We have issues with what we're going to drink and 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 so forth. When, when Jesus is talking about worrying about drink in, in his culture, it was: Are we going to be able to drink? Uh, sometimes just stress over finding water, stress over where are we going to, how are these things going to happen? You know, in America, we stress over materialism and, and the quality of things and how good they are and everything. In other cultures, they're stressing over whether they even have clothes, whether they even have food, whether they are going to be able to drink. These are the things they're worried about. How are we going to provide these things for each other? And, and so that is, I mean, when we first got married and we had no money, all the pretentiousness had to go out the window because when my dad was paying for my clothes, I dressed nice. But once that went away, once he was no longer, you know, my sugar daddy, so to speak, uh, once that was gone and I'm now not only buying my clothes, but buying my wife's clothes. You know, the reason why, this is just was like full disclosure therapy. I feel like I should lay back and just to be like you. Uh, the reason why I go through a fitness challenge every year is because for years I couldn't buy new pants. I, so, I mean, we could, so I had to fit in the same size I had for many, many years. It's like, it's like, we, you, your pants don't fit anymore. It's like, well, then I can't eat. Uh, so, because I have to wear those pants or else we don't buy diapers. And that, that was just a reality because we, we have four kids, boom, 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 boom. And then somebody says, how do you afford that? And I said, oh, do you ask those questions before that happens? Uh, because we never asked that question. We were young and crazy and, and uh, just having kids. And so, you know, the people in our church were like, do you know what causes this? Do you, or is there something in your water? All those wonderful questions that loving church people ask you. And, um, and, we're, and we're grateful for it. And we felt God wanted us to have four kids. It was not anything. We were just blind faith and so forth. But let me tell you, you start to worry. How are they going to eat? What are, we gonna, what are they going to wear? And, and where do we find, where do we find money just to even get, fill bottles up, you know, and, and to, and provide all these different things. And this is what he says in verse 32. He says, for the idolaters, he said, don't worry about these things for the idolaters eagerly seek all these things. Now we use the word idolaters there. That word in your Bible may be Greek. It may say Gentiles. It may say heathen. It may say pagans. It literally means everybody, but the Jewish people. (laughs) And, and, and what it's talking about is. Everybody who is not faithful to Jehovah or faithful to Yahweh. Okay? And what he's saying is everybody in the world. It's not just Christians. It's not just people who go to church. Everybody worries about how they're going to feed their children, how they're going to clothe their children, how they're going to find enough to drink. 
uh, how all these things, how basic needs of your family are going to be provided for. Now, there is a certain percentage of people who are super wealthy and never think about things like that, but the majority of people think about these things all the time. Everybody does. And that's what he's saying. Even the idolaters, even people who don't believe in God, even people who worship false gods, it doesn't matter about their religion. Everybody thinks about these things. But then look what he says. And your heavenly father knows that you need them. He knows that you need them. So here's what he's saying to all of us. You have a good daddy. Good daddies make sure their kids have clothes to wear. Good daddies make sure their kids have food to eat. Good daddies make sure that everybody has plenty of water to drink. You have a good daddy. Now, it doesn't matter if the man in your house, if there isn't even, if, if there isn't, the call from Greece again, uh, if there even is a man in the house. When my dad died, I remember I had a, I've shared this before, but I had a, a preacher that came, I didn't know him. He was amazing. He's one of those people that shows up in your life and says, I have a word from the Lord. Uh, but it wasn't really like that. His father had died not too much before that. And he said the Lord gave him this word to get him through that time. He found out that my father had died, drove 60 miles to the funeral home. And it's in Fordsville, Kentucky. That's not, you don't just come across that by chance. He had to want to go there. And so he came there, walked, waited through the line. It was a line of people. He waited all the way through the line for an hour just to come up. And he says, I just had to come and share with this to you. You depended on your earthly father in this life. Now depend on your heavenly father. And I thought, wow. You know, and, and you go person after person after person after person. After, I don't remember what 99.9% of those people said as they were coming through the line. But I remember that. I remember that because it really was a word from the Lord. And this is what we need to take from that. We need to realize that our Heavenly Father always can be depended upon to provide for us. And so here's what I want to tell you. Don't let your home Become fatherless. Don't let your home become fatherless. So often we try to find a way to get all of our needs met and to take care of all of our things without using our heavenly father. Now, sometimes it's the man of the house doing that. Sometimes there are, there are women who are tempted to say, we don't need a man. You don't need a man. My, my wife's family... Uh, grew up, she had, my wife's uh, dad died when she was seven. He was an alcoholic. He was a difficult person. And uh, my wife has, there were six girls being raised by their mom. And uh, she had a little bit of hostility toward men. She had two really bad marriages. And, um, and so there was this, almost this don't trust men kind of thing. And, and, and Kim grew up in that kind of environment. And yet God, through his grace, the reason why she said, she told me, she said, your dad, talking about my dad, she said, restored my faith in fathers. And because he was such an example of our heavenly father. And that's, and that's really all dads are called to do is simply to be examples of our heavenly father. Just simply to get our Whatever God, our Father in heaven has for us to give to our families and just pass it along. And just pass it along. But if dad won't do that, God will still get it to you. 
And always, always, always let your family know that that's where that's coming from. It's always coming from our Heavenly Father. He is the one providing it. Whether it's coming through a man or coming through a woman or coming through an uncle or coming through an aunt or coming through some neighbor, our Heavenly Father is the one who is providing for our families. Always. And the reason why it's important is, is because we need to have a good relationship with our Father in heaven. We need to teach our children to have a good relationship with our Father in heaven. We do not need to teach our children, you need to make it on your own. You need to pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. We need to teach them dependency upon our Heavenly Father because He is the one who provides for it. I tell my children all the time, they say, Dad, you're such a great dad. I said, only to the extent that my Heavenly Father is a great Heavenly Father. I'm just going to tell you how I don't, I don't get my strength from some internal thing. I wasn't born with it. I get it from my Father in heaven. Everything that God provides for us isn't because of my ingenuity or my expertise or my ability. To, the jobs that I have, the opportunities that I have, the mental facilities I have in order to do the jobs that he gives me and opportunities, all that comes from our Heavenly Father. And he is the one who provides for us. So don't let your home become fatherless. Next thing about being stress-free is we all have... In order to be stress-free, you have to have what I call a go-to guy. You have to have that, you know, the, that uh, show, Who Wants to Be a Millionaire, the phone-a-friend concept. We all have to have somebody somewhere that we go to. That, your life is stre- more, less stressful when your car breaks down and you know who to take it to. When your computer isn't working and you know who to call. When your phone, you don't know how to get that app downloaded on your phone, but you know who to ask. That go-to guy, you know, when you have spiritual questions and, you know, oh, here's my spiritual go-to guy. You know, all of us have a, what we call a go-to guy. I looked up go-to guy on Urban Dictionary because that's where you find all your credible information. Uh, And and this was a definition created by go-to girl, but she was spot on. She said, the go-to guy is the one you go to for advice who can turn your sad days into happy days, the one guy that knows all your secrets, that you tell anything and everything to, who protects you and only wants the best for you, the person you tell your happy and sad news, who always is the first one that comes to mind, the friend that you can't wait to talk to because no matter how boring of a day you've had, there's always tons of things to share. This is the friend who takes up the majority of your minutes and texts who you cannot see your life without. You are my rock, my go-to guy, the one friend that completes me. Is that not an amazing definition of Jesus? And that, I mean, that is, that is almost like taking that straight out of the Bible. But here's the thing. The world doesn't think that's who Jesus is. The world is looking for that there's nobody else who exists that's that person on the planet. But that's, what, that's who everybody's looking for. That's who everybody wants. They want somebody who's like that. And they're looking everywhere. Yet Jesus is that, is that go-to guy. And Jesus is the one who says, you know who the real go-to guy is? Your Heavenly Father. When Jesus was teaching his disciples to pray in this sermon, he didn't say, pray to me. And that's one of the most astounding things. That, that's, that was a revolutionary thing for me to see in, in the New Testament. Because I was always taught, you pray to Jesus. You talk to Jesus. Jesus is the one who gives us everything. But Jesus says, when you pray, pray this way. Our Father. And Jesus is saying, I've even, hum-, Jesus says, I even humble myself. I'm getting what 
I'm getting what I'm getting today from our Father. When I'm feeding the 5,000, I'm getting that from the Father. When I'm walking on water, I'm getting that from the Father. When I'm doing all that I am doing, I'm raising Lazarus from the dead, I'm getting that from the Father. He's the one who's providing for us, taking care of us, looking after us, watching over us all the time. And here's the cool thing about our Father. He's everywhere, all the time. Everywhere, all the time. Sees everything, knows everything. He's eternal. This is why. Now, Jesus is actually identified as the Father. In Isaiah, remember, it talks about all the names of the Messiah. Everlasting Father. He is, he is, he also is has this aspect to him because he's, it's a trinity. We, Jesus is God. So, But he's talking about in, as me being a man right now, I'm not everywhere all the time. He's in one place. The Son of God is. Just, we don't get into that. But, the, uh, but he is saying when you have a need, doesn't matter where you are. Doesn't mean if you that matter if you see me or not. I'm always there. I'm the one you can go to for advice. I can turn your sad days into happy days. I'm the one who knows all your secrets. You can tell anything and everything to. I protect you and only want what's best for you. I'm the first person you can tell your happy and sad news to. When you are boring, <laughs> I can listen to you. That's who God is, and who you cannot see your life without. Look what Jesus says in verse thirty-three. He says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Now, here's something that I think we misunderstand all the time. We say, seek first the kingdom of God. We think go to church, read the Bible. We think things like this. He's been talking about this whole time. He's been talking about our father. He says, and your heavenly father knows that you need them. He's saying, get your mind when you, when you have a need, when you have an urgency, look to your Father and His plan. Look to your Father and what He's going. We'll, Henry Blackie said it like this, and I love it. He says, look to see where God is at work. Look to see what your God is doing. Your God, your Father in His kingdom is taking care of all your needs. In God's kingdom, you are provided for. And his kingdom is here. It's a, we have what's called in seminary an already and not yet tension. Meaning the kingdom of God is here, but it's not yet fulfilled completely. And so we already have in our midst the kingdom of God working around us. You have to see it. Because think about it. You're hungry on a mountainside. And one mountainside over, Jesus is with a bunch of thousands of people. And they're getting ready to eat. And you ain't got nothing to eat here. You know, and you've got some guy named Bubba who's hanging out with you and you're fishing on the mountainside. You're not catching anything. Jesus is just a little walk over. You walk over there where the kingdom of God is going on and everybody's going to eat. Everybody's going to be fed. And he's saying, if you will stop trying to fix all of this, if you will stop worrying about how you're going to resolve this or who is going to resolve this, if you'll stop looking for a go-to guy somewhere else besides Jesus, if you'll stop calling people, because this is what we do. We, we, we lean, depend on people who are not capable of meeting all of our needs, who are not capable of fixing everything we have wrong. And so we get frustrated. You know, doctors, bless doctors' hearts. I mean, really, because every doctor I've ever known, I know I'll meet somebody who loves them and I'll meet somebody who hates them. Do you know who loves them? The people they helped. Do you know who hates them? The people they couldn't help. That is a high bar of expectation on a human being. 
You know, I'm, it's like I go to you and it's like, fix me. And if they say, ah, you know, this is complicated. I don't know if I can do this or not. Very intensely complicated decision. And if they mess anything up, they're the worst doctor on the planet. One star or negative two stars or whatever. I hate you. You're rough. Don't ever go to that person. They, they're awful, you know. And it's like, wow, that's rough, you know. Now, granted, if they, you know, put the wrong, do the wrong surgery on you or something like that, it's a little bit you know, difficult to get over, but, but I, but I'm saying that we have this high bar of expectation. We're always looking and we do this to our spouses. We just do our children. We do this to our parents. It's like, Hey, can you do this for me? And they can't, but God can, our father can. And he's saying, don't worry. Everything you're worried about, everything you're worried about, I've already got it taken care of in my kingdom. In my kingdom. But if you're not in my kingdom, if you're not even looking for my kingdom, if you're looking for something else, if you're going to Guido to get that cheap loan or whatever, I'm not there. I'm not there. So here's what I want you to remember. Don't look for the answers to your troubles where God is not working. Don't be going places where you know God is not working. If you're lonely, don't go to the bar looking for the right spouse. You know, if you're if you're if you're wishing you're, you know, that you can get out of debt quicker, don't go to some loan shark on the corner to, to you know to help you. Don't don't go where you know God is not working, especially where God wouldn't work. You know, because you I mean, there's some people you meet, you can just you know because they hate God or because they're godless, it's like God would not work through that person. Or God would not work through this company because they loathe God. So don't look for your answers there. Now, can God use them to provide something? Yes, because he's God. He can do anything. But look for God first. Look for where God is working first. Look for where the kingdom of God is advancing. And clearly, from all that you know that Jesus revealed about himself, this looks like something God would do. That's where you want to look. Obviously, this is where God is, and that's where he's answering your prayers. That's where he's meeting your needs. That's where he's providing what you need to eat. That's where he's providing what you need to drink. That's where he's providing what you need to wear. And lastly, to get to be a stress-free home, we have to get over the terror of tomorrow. The terror of tomorrow. Tomorrow is where we spend almost all of our time. We are really, really bad about not living in the present. Let me just give you an example. How many of you, when we are doing the invitation and we're praying, are not praying, but you're thinking about what's going to come next? You're not here. You've already left the building mentally. You're already somewhere. You're looking at a restaurant Trying to decide what you're going to eat, worried about what you're going to eat, <laughs> and and trying to decide how you know when we get there quick enough, or, you're, or wherever, or what's waiting for you at home, or even what's waiting for you at work tomorrow. We are always worried about tomorrow. Do you know why we worry about tomorrow? Because that's where the things we love are, the things that we are devoted to. Where we spend our attention, our time, effort, energy, the things we really love are in tomorrow. The person I want to be, it's tomorrow. This isn't the person I want to be. Not this person. 
It's the tomorrow person, you know, the one that's going to be in better shape, the one that's going to weigh less, the one that's going to get a better haircut next time, the one that is going to be uh, in a place that uh, had the car that he's going to be driving, you know, the clothes that he's going to be wearing. That person, that's tomorrow's person. That's what I'm thinking about. So I'm worried, I'm stressed because the things I believe are necessary to get to tomorrow guy, to get to my tomorrow job, to get to my tomorrow house, to get to my tomorrow person I want to be, all those things, I don't know. I'm unsure about those things. I don't, that's why I get terrorized about it. That's why we lay awake at night. What's going to happen? What's going to happen tomorrow? And this is what Jesus says. He says, don't worry about tomorrow. I don't know how much clearer he could possibly get with a statement that we just totally ignore. Don't worry about tomorrow. Because tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Now, I spent some time on this next statement, so I want you to think about it. Devote yourself to the God of today and be set free from the gods of tomorrow. Now, like this. Isn't that good? Yeah, that's what a little bit of caffeine and late hours will do is give you a thought like that. Now, I, I really worried that I was going to write that down and read it today and think, oh, that's lame. Um, but let me tell you, this is why this, that I really do believe God spoke this to me as I was studying, preparing for this. That if I will devote myself to the God of today, to, to the God that's working in my life right now, to look what he is doing right now around me, I don't, not, it takes worry away. Because all I've got is the, per, the you right here in front of me. This is where we are right now in this moment, talking to each other, sharing this, and you're what matters. And this is what matters right now, what God is asking us to do right now. The gods of tomorrow are just idols. They're just idols of things that are trying to get my attention away from this to whatever's there. It's fighting with me. It's fighting with you. All of us are wanting to jump ahead to whatever it is that's coming tomorrow. But guess who isn't wanting us to do that? The God that we say we're worshiping right now. He's saying, if you're looking over there, you're not looking at me. Because I'm right here, right now, working in this moment. Stay focused in this moment. Devote yourself to me and what I want you to do right now. How is that all going to be taken care of? How is he going to provide for all these things? How is he going to do all these things? He's God. He's the real God. The gods of tomorrow, they're the ones I'm doubting that they're going to make all these things work. And with good reason, because they're not real. Troy of tomorrow doesn't exist. I was reading about a story about this pub, and, and, and I didn't realize it's, it's everywhere now, but this pub in England had a sign that said, free beer tomorrow. And people would come the next day. Crowds of people would come looking for free beer. And he goes, no, it's tomorrow. <laughs> they, sued the, they sued the pub, and the judge ruled. 
No, it's an accurate sign. <laughs> All it's saying is free beer tomorrow. Clever. <laughs> but, you know, because guess what? Tomorrow never comes. Tomorrow never comes. It's only now. This is it. Right here, this moment. This is what we have. Tomorrow is a wish, a dream. And it's not bad to dream. It's not bad to wish. It's not bad to hope. But here, let me think of it. Think of it this way. You have no reason to worry and every reason to hope. If you are devoted to the God of today, you have every reason to believe that tomorrow, that the future is going to be okay because that's the God you're serving now who has control over that. You see what I'm saying? If you're worried about tomorrow, that means you're following the wrong God. You're worshiping the wrong people or idols or figments of your imagination. The God that I love and the God that I serve will, will get me where I need to go for every, this day and every day for all eternity. And guess what? That's what eternity is going to be like. Think about it for a second. When we go to heaven, do you think we're going to worry about tomorrow? People say this all the time. Of course not. Of course I'm not going to worry about tomorrow. And I ask, why? Why won't you worry about tomorrow when you get to heaven? Well, because God's going to take care of everything we eat. God's going to take care of everything we wear. God's going to take care of all of our needs and so forth. And everything will be provided for us. And say, are you going to find a different God when you get to heaven than the God you serve right now? Are you? No. It's the same God. And that's what Jesus is saying. So why are you worried now? In fact, he didn't didn't ask the question. He gives the command. Do not worry. Do not worry. So, changing what you do starts with changing how you think. Ask God to renew your mind to overcome the paralyzing effects of worry. Just like Jesus set the example, not my will, but your will be done. Pray with me. Father, I just pray this morning that you will change our minds about how we think about today and tomorrow. That we realize that you have never asked us to fix tomorrow or to stress about tomorrow. Lord, you you just tell us to trust you. And Father, I pray, Father, you will help us to see you as our heavenly Father. Lord, I, I love the picture of my children. Lord, one of the greatest blessings as a father I've ever had is when my children are just able to enjoy today because they know their daddy will take care of everything. They have no worries and father I wish I pray father that you would get my mind to the place where I am like that my own children like I was when I was a little child Lord you said the kingdom of God is for people for children and it's because children don't worry or shouldn't worry if they're worried it's because of whatever bad home or whatever but father in the in where you where the father is strong where the father is loving children don't worry and so father may we exemplify to the world how loving our father is by not worrying 
And Father, the only way we're going to stop worrying is if our minds are changed. If we stop devoting ourselves, thinking about all the things that we want tomorrow. We've got to change the way we think and be satisfied with where we are today. And enjoy it. And find life in it. And see you in it. And seek out your agenda over our own. Father, we only worry when we are seeking our agenda over your agenda. And so, Lord, may today, right now, may we say, no longer, I don't want to worry. I don't want to stress about the world I'm trying to make. I want to live in the world that you have made. May we lay our burdens down at your feet and live the life that you are calling us to live. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Stand with me as we just have a time of invitation. The invitation is simple. Just asking God, change how I think. Change how, if you've been worried about something, you know it. You're worrying about the things that you are devoted to. You're worrying about those things not getting done or not achieving those things or not acquiring those things. You're, you're, you're wanting something that you think you have to get for yourself. Lay those things down and say, God, I only want what you want me to have. And he makes you this promise. He will give you what he wants you to have. He will not deny you that. And now the question is, do you believe he loves you? Do you trust him? Do you believe he loves you enough to give you what's the best, not just what you need, but what, what is best for you, the best life possible for you? Do you trust him? Just let him know that this morning as we sing.